Welcome to Mercola Healthy Pets Integrative Veterinary Medicine Awareness Week. I'm Dr. Karen Becker, and as a part of our 10-year anniversary celebration, I'll be interviewing some pretty amazing colleagues who practice integrative and functional medicine. Starting this week, you can also nominate your vet or a local rescue or an inspiring individual in your community to be the recipient of our new Healthy Pets Game Changer Award. I hope that you'll tune in every day this week to be inspired and educated by passionate healers from around the world. And don't forget to nominate that special someone that you know that has gone above and beyond to help animals. Again, thank you so much for your support. I am Dr. Karen Becker and helping me celebrate Integrative Veterinary Medicine Awareness Week is Dr. Cynthia Lankana. And Dr. Lankana, thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate you taking time out of your busy day. You're a you do a lot, but I know you're a mixed animal practitioner, and you also do a lot of house calls for dogs and cats, so you literally treat everything. Yes, I do. Yeah. <laughs> and did you graduate, uh, Dr. Cynthia, did you graduate from Cornell knowing that you'd be a mixed animal practitioner as well as a companion animal? Well, yes, yes and no. When I, when I was in vet school, it was just the beginning of of acupuncture and I was fascinated when Nixon opened China and seeing those first clips of surgery with people wide awake with acupuncture needles and I'm like I want to learn how to do this but there weren't any vets doing acupuncture so when I was in vet school one there were that handful of vets that went over to China got their first training and came back and were promoting acupuncture so that was the beginning of the IVIS group really fascinated about that. And, and then my junior year in vet school, I had an externship on the Navajo reservation, which was a mind opener. So what happened, we had a very progressive family that brought in a sick foal, a septic foal, and the foal was gonna die. I mean, it was septic, it was comatose, and the family came up and apologetically asked if they could have their shaman come in. And we, you know, patted him on the head and said, oh, of course. And, you know, so I'm expecting big guns and whistles. And the shaman just was drumming and drummed all night long. And in the morning, and I fell asleep. And in the morning, the foal was 100% normal. And I wouldn't have believed it except the foal was nursing. And the mare would have only accepted her own foal. So I knew they didn't do a foal exchange. And the shaman was so humble, and he just looked at me and said, your medicine never could have removed the evil from the foal. And the, the long and short of it, the family had been cursed because they thought they were above others, and a family had them cursed. And the curse came out as this foal dying, and the shaman was able to remove the evil. And that just blew my sense yeah. of, of what can heal and what can't heal wide apart. Um, and so I was totally interested. And after a stint in the Peace Corps, after working on a small dairy practice, um, it's like there's so much more out there. And so it started the path first with acupuncture. So this is back late 80s, early 90s yeah. with acupuncture. And that opened up that door of like, oh my goodness, I hadn't even heard of homeopathy. You know, we were taught in vet school that herbs were toxic, not that you could use herbs. This whole world of other modalities, and and I just got completely involved, and that's all I do now is alternative modalities. And Cindy, did, when you, because you really were one of the first, not just female veterinarians, you know, graduating into kind of a male-dominant field when you graduated, 
but you were absolutely in that first handful of people bringing back brand new, fresh modalities. I am certain, uh, me, I graduated from IVIS in 96, and there was still a lot of um, my conventional colleagues not accepting uh, of, of this option. I can't imagine you doing this a decade or two before. What was the pushback? Cindy, from from the convention, from your conventional colleagues, did you were they were they inquisitive? Were there more? Were there was there hostility? What what has been the barometer over your career of acceptance of you bringing new ideas to the table? Well, when I first started, so I was in the small dairy practice up in Boonville, New York, and you know it was preventative stuff, and the farmers would let you do anything if the cows got better. So this is before I knew anything, and you know you have a cow with a dead room and no motility and I'd you know dump coffee in and anything I could find that that I knew would stimulate the rumen so I went back even then and read some some of the old old vet books they'd use gentian they'd use ginger they'd use all these appetite stimulants so way back then it was like you know and the farmers were fine with it because anything that made their cows better they were great with it and then after Peace Corps, I, I came into this big mixed practice, big medicine. I was the queen of drug therapy. And when I started, see, you know, it's nice when you do more dairy work and large animal work because you, you can see the preventative effects. It's not like, you know, the dog gets a vaccine and then the next week they have an ear infection and the next week they have liver problems. It, it's happening so fast. You can't set yourself back and see the disease progression. But I think in large animal, you're able to see the progression and how certain things we were doing were making the animals worse. So I was seeing that things were not getting better. And, and the more drugs we were applying, the diseases were only going deeper. But I, I was working in such a high intense practice that I had a good reputation. So when I started doing more alternative things, I had already established myself as being a, a, a regular vet, you know, I mean, I had the trust in my clients. And so when I started doing acupuncture, well, it was a little weird, but they trusted me because I'd already been doing their regular work for them. So I think the transition was easy. And then I was kind of in my own world. And I, I guess people thought I was weird, but I just sort of did my own thing. And I didn't have any pushback. Good. I, good. Yeah. Wow, and and maybe that is partly because you your clients like like you said it didn't matter what it was as long as your clients were happy that you were curing their animals it was good enough and maybe your colleagues especially immediately in your same practice just quietly stood back and watched and once they realized that you were successful what regardless if they didn't understand what you were doing you were successful so they they were good with it the, I'm. I'm thankful that that has been your experience. I think some of some uh, of our other colleagues have had when they have announced, "Hey, I'm interested in taking the acupuncture class, or the homeopathy class, or the herbal class," they may not have had the support of their colleagues. So that's fantastic that you have had very little pushback. I'm thankful for that. And you've had this unbelievable career in mixed animal practice and small animal medicine. Where do you see Cynthia? Where do you see all of these different modalities, how do you see them working together in terms of providing a complete system of medicine that we weren't necessarily trained to learn how to use in veterinary school? 
Yeah, it's like every modality has their their big strength, and some animals are tolerant and others aren't. So, you know, because my first training was in acupuncture, I always like to, you know, check the tongue, check the pulse, because the energetics of the animal is key with whatever modality you're using. So just a good energetic exam, too hot, too cold, you know, too much of something, too little of something, an external problem, an internal problem, you know, those good old eight uh, principles from Chinese medicine. And then you have the foundation of whatever modality you're going to use. And of course, some animals are afraid of needles. So, you know, come at them with an acupuncture needle and they're like, oh my gosh. So those animals, you know, doing twina, doing massage work first, so you're doing myofascial work or you're using a laser or using a tuning fork or something else or just your finger pressure. Well, same thing as with twina. Uh, Chinese massage to stimulate the acupuncture points. Some animals don't even want you to touch them that much. They're just afraid. And those guys are great for homeopathic. So the animals that are adverse to touch, they don't trust vets. They don't want you near them. Okay, fine. You know, do some homeopathics or you can use some magnet stuff on them. Definitely herbs for horses, cows, any herbivore, dogs, okay. Cats, yeah, they sometimes don't like the herbs so much. So you can modify, cats don't like herbs, so you use more homeopathics or you use gemotherapies, which are the uh, a tincture made, a mother tincture from the buds, which they don't taste as bad. So every modality has its place and definitely, you know, chiropractic work, maybe not just the structural stuff, but myofascial work, everybody can benefit as long as they don't want you to touch them. If they don't want you to touch them, then you can stay away. You know, all of them have their place. Deep, deep chronic disease, homeopathic shines, or acute, acute diseases, you know, where you, someone calls you at midnight and their dog's vomiting. Well, you have Nux Vomica there. They can give it right away. The dog is feeling better. So homeopathic's either for owners to be trained in acute prescribing, but definitely when you get into deep chronic diseases, Nothing can make a case jump up in its level of vitality if you get a well-prescribed chronic, chronically acting or long-acting remedy. Um, I really love herbs, though. That's where my, I, I love everything, but herbal medicine is, I see it as giving that functional foundation of good physiology. Yeah. And all of my clients are bad. You know, I get the, so don't take this badly, but my clinic is the clinic of the dead and the dying. You know, I get the cancers and the bad arthritis and the heart failures and the, you know, the bad guys, um, the rejects of conventional medicine and nice herbs just strengthen the physiology, get the liver functioning better so then they can handle more and you can ask them more. So they just all can blend in, but a lot of it, the animal tells you what they want. I don't yeah. like herbs. I like remedies. I want you to touch me. I don't want you to touch me. So you yeah. do what they want you to do. And, you know, you, I know that you have been, I think you're past president of the botanical, the veterinary botanical society. Herbs are near and dear to your heart, but you've made several great points over your career in talking about how, and I think that now because herbal medicine is catching on a little bit with our conventional colleagues, you're starting to see a, even drug companies come out with professionally formulated herbs. What is your concern about, because we're not getting training in veterinary school about how to use some of these modalities. Talk to me a little bit about 
some of your concerns pertaining to using herbs specifically as, let's say, green medications or you know, veterinarians that don't have adequate training and how to use some of these remedies, there could be problems. Yeah, that's a huge concern. It's huge. And that's why we're trying to develop this American College of Veterinary and Botanical Medicine, because it is a specialty. And training, herbal training is a lifelong adventure. Um, it's learning the energetics of the animal to prescribe the proper energetics of the herb. And when do you use, you know, a combination herb, the toxicity of herbs, um, is incredibly complex and conventional medicines want to use it like a drug and it's mm -hmm. the horrible abuse i've seen of nice oncologists in union Biao. horrible abuse you know they just put them on it long term they don't understand the energetics they sure and the acute thing it's wonderful and a low dose long term is fine if you put in blood movers or else you're going to make the animal blood deficient and then you're going to have problems from that they don't understand it and synthesizing a couple of phytochemicals out of an herb so like milk thistle so they make denimarin which is two of the phytochemicals and yes it's very nice but then practitioners don't understand that there are only two phytochemicals phytochemicals and that it's not a liver drainer it's a liver protector and if you want some of the anti-cancer effects i mean whole milk thistle can help prevent melanomas whole milk thistle is nephroprotective cardiac protective it's a pancreative restorative if you use the whole herb but not two of the phytochemicals you have to get the flavonoids flavonoids in and not just two of the silly bums in i it just drives me crazy you take turmeric so they synthesize curcumin out of turmeric but then they have absorption problems of the curcumin. So you have to feed it with oil and pepper and all this other stuff. But the whole turmeric is well absorbed. So this push of pharmaceutical companies to make a drug out of an herb, and then they don't understand the energetics of the of the herb itself. So then the herb is misused. Mm -hmm. And conventional vets aren't trained in the energetics of herbs. And it's a huge potential problem. It is a problem already. And But herbs are so wonderful. So you don't want to discourage the use. But we, we've got to get the conventional vet schools to understand that herbs aren't drugs and that they have to be used differently but we've had such a struggle with our little american college of veterinary and botanical medicine because they want it they want us to be green drugs mm -hmm. and even to try to get the avma to understand this is different and it's a different training but they don't they want it to fit right in a nice little peg and it isn't yep yep so it's a problem it's a huge concern yeah. And, you know, do you see, do you see out of this? Because I don't see, from my vantage point, I'm not seeing veterinary students having an abundance of elective courses that they could take to educate themselves about the do's and don'ts of herbs, or at least basic herbal medicine courses. And I think a lot of conventional vets graduate, and there's this big gap between yeah. where, you know, they, they can identify the disease process, but we weren't really trained in how to, how to intentionally create wellness or how to prevent patients from becoming ill or sick. So there's this giant gap, and I think that conventional vets are recognizing that supplements may fill that gap, but they don't even have training in how to use supplements appropriately. 
So yeah. do you think, do you see veterinary schools beginning to look at some of these holes in our training and think about adding coursework that could provide some foundation of education or not quite yet? I, you know, I think it depends on the college. So I've got, I'm a Cornell graduate and I'm so one of my clients has funded uh, one day of holistic uh, lectures at, during the Cornell conference, the New York state conference in the fall. So I was able to have a conversation with some of the people more higher up and they say, nope, never going to happen because mm -hmm. they feel the students are overwhelmed already with the amount of information they have. And this is throwing something else at them and they feel, or at least at Cornell right now. And so hopefully I'm not stepping on any Cornellians toes, but they feel that alternative medicine is a postgraduate degree, which that would be another option of having a postgraduate degree but then you have these students overwhelmed with student loans and to have another year or two of training after they get their original dbm is pretty overwhelming so i don't know i do know that florida has embraced dr shea and they have internship in acupuncture it's part of the rotation if you want to so i think the vet schools could um yeah they could and i think they need to i i would think you know they teach poisonous plants at cornell i don't see why they couldn't have an elective of botanical plants yeah you know but but they have to get the staff to teach it and right now there aren't enough people trained in botanical medicine to teach it you know it's it's a big problem it is and it's a big topic it's a yeah. massive topic and yet uh, our profession struggles with having enough offerings how many times do our conventional colleagues have to say to clients there's nothing else i can do and that's a, right. a, an incredibly devastating thing to tell your client who you love and the patient that you love that is a that is a hard go to have to say those words over and over. And I think that integrative medicine provides other options that if the practitioner so desires, they could explore other options that would provide potential solutions or at least modalities that would improve quality and quantity of life. Maybe not cure our patient, but or could dramatically improve at least patient quality of life, but I think a lot of veterinarians just aren't even made aware that yeah. they're out there. Yeah, and completely, I, that's it. They, there is not the, there, for some reason, there's that big block of conventional medicine, vet schools aren't promoting that there are other things that option, that, you know what yeah. I'm trying to say. Yeah. I mean, I, and, and I know specific clients of mine that a horse that was in a trailer accident, so I had my acupuncture training, but he was physically squished and shifted. And he, it's because of him I took my chiropractic training because, mm -hmm. I, I, you know, acupuncture was helping, but he needed something more. And some of the old cancer dogs, when I'd be on farm calls and farmers would say, well, you know, what can you do for him? Well, that was why I took my homeopathic class. And, mm -hmm. you know, so every animal that I, that I was thinking, there isn't anything else I could do in the alternative world there was, you know, I just take that next class and that next class and that next class. So, you know, 29 years later, I'm still taking classes and more classes and more classes. So it is out there. 
It is out there. And I love, you're an inspiration, I hope, to every single person that watches this video because you are exactly the type of practitioner I want to celebrate and highlight during this Integrative Veterinary Medicine Awareness Week. You are a practitioner that, uh, at least apparently, you've not burned out. You have not lost any hope in practice. You are looking forward to the future of veterinary medicine. And you are, you're adding to your toolbox so many different healing modalities that you have options for every patient that you see. And that has to be not just empowering for you as a practitioner, but I hope inspiring for everyone around you. Well, thank you. It, it is because, you know, we all had our basic training either at IVIS or at CHI now. And so right now, Jeffrey Ewan, I go to as many classes of his as I can because most people don't understand the difference between classical Chinese medicine and traditional Chinese medicine and how so many of the, the theories and philosophies in Chinese medicine were lost when, you know, Chiang Kai-shek was trying to modern or modernize China. So they actually outlawed acupuncture and Mao brought acupuncture back, but everything had to be, you know, uniform you know, communist policy, everything's uniform. So the different schools, the fire spirit school and the, you know, invasion of cold pathogens and the invasion of heat pathogens were kind of thrown out the window because everything has to be the same. And especially in today's COVID world, disease progression, you know, you understand disease progression of a cold pathogen and it tells you exactly why these people are developing pneumonia because it's gone from the Tai Yang level into the Tai Yin level and that's why it's going to the lungs and it makes perfect sense. So when you understand these Chinese philosophies, it, disease progression is so clear and then how to try to reverse it is even equally clear hard to do sometimes, but at least you understand what you have to do. So even after that basic training, there's always more training and always more things to learn. So you just have to live a long time to learn it all. <laughs> well, and it, it's quite clear that you are doing just that. And you're doing so inspired and passionately and healthfully. So you have contributed mightily to integrative veterinary medicine just from your passion alone and your desire to can always consistently be learning, which I love. Dr. Cynthia, if you could uh, pass along one tidbit or one morsel of knowledge or thought or idea to both pet parents and veterinarians, one one thing to share, what would you share? What would I share? I would share to walk in nature in your backyard and learn the plants in your backyard. Because in your backyard, you probably have everything in there that could treat you in an acute emergency. You got plantain for snake bites, for bug bites, for tick bites, for spider bites. You know, you've got your milk thistles, you've got your yarrow for hemorrhage, you've got uh, yellow dock for liver issues, you've got dandelion, the most beautiful herb out there. So my tip would be to take walks in your backyard and every day look at a plant, maybe a plant a week, and learn that plant. Learn what that plant does. Learn the energy of that plant because it could save your life. Beautiful words from a beautiful practitioner. Thank you so much for joining us for this really inspiring conversation. Oh, well, thank you so much. Thanks for having me.